0: We're doing a series on, on Sunday nights on the pastor and church, and the intent is to discuss our relationships together, our roles and responsibilities. So for tonight, I would like to talk about my primary role as your pastor. There's actually two, and we're only going to focus on one. Um, according, we're not going to this yet, we'll be in Colossians 1, but Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 The apostles said there to the church at Jerusalem, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those are the two primary responsibilities for any pastor. Prayer and ministry of the word. And so I want to focus on the preaching part. Colossians chapter 1, join me there. We'll read verses 25 through 29. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You'll be glad to know tonight that for sake of time I removed a chunk of the message. Aren't you blessed to know that I'm so thoughtful? Not everybody at once. Amen. And we may revisit those thoughts at some point, but as I was kind of doing that part of the message, it started coming across more as um, just really focused for people that are being called into the ministry, and so I'm not sure it was appropriate anyhow, but I deleted some of that. I can tell you real quick to summarize where I was going with that that I took out. For anybody in here tonight that may be considering the ministry, it first starts as a desire Uh, That's what the Bible says. He who desires the office of a bishop desireth a good thing. From a desire, it becomes a burden. And that is where necessity is being laid upon you. From a desire to a burden, and finally, it is a calling where you know God has called you to do it. And so I I set that aside tonight. Instead, we're going to jump right into our text In verse 25, we see that it is God who makes men ministers. Notice what is said there in verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister. It wasn't a choice to become a minister for the Apostle Paul. But it was that necessity which had been laid upon him where he said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Let there be judgment unto me. There will be grief unto me. I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And so he has this necessity of him that he necessarily chose to become a minister, but it was placed upon him by the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so I say this, being a pastor is not a volunteer position. And it's important you understand these things as we talk about our relationship. It's not that we just sat in here one day and pastor said, well, I'm going to step down. Are there any volunteers? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and so it's not like you just volunteer for this. It's not one option that we weigh against many options. You're not looking at the pros and cons. Amen, Adrian? Adrian? You're not writing out, I like this, I don't like that. And if the pros outweigh the cons, you have these lists of opportunities and you sit there and you go, well, pastor looks pretty good. Maybe I'll try that. That's not how it works. That's not how God calls men into the ministry. The pastor does not choose his ministry, but it is given by God from on high. And this principle is seen throughout the Bible. It is God who initiates the calling, not man. Some pastors have given the advice, if you sense you're being called into the ministry, then run. I understand what they mean by that, but I don't think that's the best way to put it. Um, If you sense God is calling you, don't run from it. Run to God. Run to God. See whether or not He'll give you confirmation. I believe better stated would be this. If you can avoid entering pastoral ministry, then avoid it. If you can do something else, do something else. Meaning this, if you're content to step down and go sell cars, go sell cars. If you're content to do whatever job outside of the ministry, go do it. And that's what they mean when they say run from it. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to put it. but In other words, are you really being called by God if you'd be happy to do something else? Because a man will know he is called into the pastor once he realizes he can do nothing else. Because when God calls you to it, there'll be no way you can take a different course in your life and not end up being miserable about it. And and you know my testimony. I've said before, it's not that I would have chosen to do this back then. I'm thankful I'm in the will of God now, of course. But I I wasn't thinking, man, that'd be great. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to live out in the middle of nowhere and just be left alone. Oh, good one, Lord. God had so put a, a, a desire, not He made it so plain yeah. that I knew I couldn't. I couldn't do anything else. I had to do what God had called me to do. And that's why the advice is given. If you can do something else, do it. So if you're in here tonight and you're contemplating the ministry, um, if you'd be just as happy to go make $2 million a year over at such and such company, go do it. But when God gets a hold of your heart and He calls you, it wouldn't matter if they offered you $10 million a week. You would say, God has called me into the ministry, and that's the direction I have to go. So the calling comes from God. Now, congregations, your responsibility is to make sure you're walking with God because there are going to be transitions in leadership. Pastors are going to die. Pastors are going to fail you. Pastors are going to walk out. There's going to be all kinds of reasons why the pastor, it changes hands. And you have to be walking with God as a congregation in order to identify those who God has genuinely called. Because if you're not careful, it can turn into the good old boy network, right? Well, you know, I got a buddy down there, and boy, he can preach. Um, and, and you just want to be careful with that kind of thing. And so you have to be with God, like we find in the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13, where it says in verse 2 there, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, "'Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them.'" So a congregation must be walking with the Lord, listening to the Holy Spirit, fasting as is required, to hear who it is the Holy Ghost is saying, "'This is who God has chosen.'" This is why Paul, in Romans 1.1, he could write, "'Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle.'" separated unto the gospel of God. He knew that his calling and his separation was from God, not from man. But isn't it interesting that God used man to be the ones to lay the hands on them to then go out and present the word of God as they went on their missionary journeys. So there is a relationship here between a congregation and a pastor, those in the ministry that will say, Yep, we are in agreement. We understand. Let's endorse this and let's press on. And once the church knows the Holy Ghost has said this, um, that this is the man for this church, it will become apparent to all that he has been placed there by divine appointment. Amen. And maybe some of you, I know you've been around, you've been in churches where you realize this was not the right choice. And it happens. Uh, I won't go into detail, but we had an incident, a situation. Where we weren't there when they voted, but we had just arrived when he had just arrived. And you read his resume and you think, boy, this guy's right down the line. But he wasn't. It wasn't right down the line. He wasn't King James only. He wasn't sticking with the old stuff and all these kind of things. And so sometimes you get sold a bill of goods. We understand that. It'll become apparent is what I'm saying. Give it time and you'll know. And you'll know. Go through some, some battles and things like that together. And we've gone through some things already in these last five years that hopefully you've been able to kind of see these things. Now, what do we see from this passage that a God-called, God-given pastor should be doing? Well, if we were to sum up verses 25 through 28, we see that a pastor is to preach and teach the Word of God. Uh, Notice verse 25 says, to fulfill the Word of God. Verse 26 speaks of the mystery, which is talked about in the end verse 26 there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 27, who we preach... And teaching every man in all wisdom. And in verse 28, why do we do this? It's for the perfecting of the saints. Now, when the Bible says there to fulfill the Word of God in verse 25, it means to present the Word of God in all of its fullness, if you'll study that out. Present the Word of God in its fullness. And therefore, the pastor is to strive to give the full scope of God's Word. We often hear it this way in our circles but we want to preach the whole counsel of God, right? When we're talking about giving the whole counsel of God, sometimes what we see is pastors will just kind of stay on the same topic, right? I think I'm getting ahead of myself there. Let me hang on to that thought and see. Um, and so to fulfill the Word of God means to draw out all of the depths of God's Word, one can, with the Holy Ghost's guidance. And by the way, every believer ought to be doing that when you go to the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Don't just rely on somebody to get up and preach to you and think that that's going to be enough to sustain you. Uh, I can tell you that I've been eating less, and if it's only Sunday uh, morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I'm probably going to be pretty grumpy through the week. And listen, you're going to be a grumpy Christian if this is the only time you eat. In fact, you'll even cut back further. And so you you draw this out, and I'm saying that to say this, it takes more than five minutes on Saturday night to get it ready. If you're going to fulfill this verse. It doesn't even come about by five hours of study. It is hours upon hours upon hours of preparation. I've said this before. I do not say this for pity, but simply to make you think that you're getting your money's worth. But on average, per week, I spend over 30 hours a week just in study alone. If I have to teach Sunday school, you can throw another 10 hours on there very easy. And that's not including having to do chapel when I do show up for that, Larry. (laughs) when I do chapels on Thursday morning. And so you're talking 30, 40 hours a week alone, just in study. And, uh, and again, I just want you to know I do put in the work necessary, not to mention the other tasks that are requiring of your time uh, that can become very consuming if you're, if you're not careful. So whether it's evident or not to you by what I present to you, I am putting forth the effort. Amen. And because it is such a work, Paul says in verse 29... Whereunto I also labor striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. It takes work to prepare sermons. Amen, brother? That's right. It takes work. If you're going to do it right. I could be lazy and just grab stuff off the internet. And there are some in the ministry for the ease of it. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And I can tell you where you go verse by verse and you labor through these books, it's particularly painstaking because you can't just randomly skip over stuff you don't want to have to study. Because here's what you'll find if you begin to study the Word of God and you come across a hard passage, you'll realize when you go to the commentators, they didn't know anything either. And that's what I do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. it's it's very time-consuming, it's very exhausting, but I can tell you that it's very exhilarating as God gives you the Word of God and then you in turn get to share that with other people. And I recognize how blessed I am to be able to get paid to do this. I do not take that for granted. Um, I can remember being active duty and juggling a lot of different ministries at one time and uh, it's hard. And I remember I would sit in my office and I would just long for the day that I would be able to do nothing but study and prepare uh, the Word of God, and so I'm very grateful to you for that, and I, and I know I'm blessed uh, for that. And so thank you for being obedient to give. Thank you for being obedient to God's command. And, uh, and, and because of that, listen, you ought to hold me accountable, right? I mean, listen, you're, you're giving me a living wage to do this, amongst other things, but therefore you ought to be able to come to me and say, you know, preacher, I just feel like it's kind of slipping a little bit, everything okay? There ought to be an accountability there. It should not get to the point where I, I have one, you know, three points, two subpoints, a poem, and we go home. Not that that's a bad that, Okay, I just offended somebody. Um, that's okay if that's how God is using your life. That's not how God uses mine. But um, I'm not just going to hit print and come up here and do that. Now, I've, I've heard of preachers that do that, and they're sitting up here as the choir is singing and so forth, and they're going over their notes hurriedly. And, and so you ought to hold me accountable. That's part of your responsibility as the congregation. You should expect me at least to attempt to my ability. I mean, I can do it as well as Pastor Williams did, but you ought to expect to the best of my ability that I am trying to present to you the Word of God in all of its fullness. And for your sake, I hope it does get better. Amen. (laughs) I do. I hope it gets better. And so I am very privileged uh, to be able to do this. And uh, listen, I can tell you I have no other desire in life. I love what I do. I do. Yeah, I want to ram my head out the window and jump, but uh, you know what? Most of the time, it's great. It's it's been fun. And so, uh, listen, young men, if you're thinking about going in the ministry, don't believe all the naysayers. Yeah, there's going to be some fights and battles, but you'll be so blessed to know that you are in God's will. Now, to understand this, to fulfill the Word of God doesn't mean that I should preach sermonettes Christianettes, right? That smoke cigarettes. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Just strike that from the record. That makes no sense. This doesn't mean that... Oh, Oh, here it is in my notes. This doesn't mean that no matter how many different texts I take you to, that you hear the same sermon week after week after week. And if you've been around, you've been in churches like that. It doesn't matter the text. I'm going to tell you how you ought to dress. It doesn't matter the text, but I'm going to tell you, you know, this hobby horse or this thing or that thing. And it just becomes like, man, this guy's got an ax to grind every week. Right? And you just, you get burned out on that. There's no excitement to come and hear that. You ought to want to come and hear the Word of God, not what my opinions are. I'll be glad to give you my opinions, right? We all have them. But no, when I get up here, hopefully I'm giving you what the Word of God says, and not just on some hobby horse. Um, And that's why when I send out our invitations, by the way, for our our Black Hills Jubilee during our anniversary days, I I make sure on every invitation I put, there are no agendas. There are no hobby horses. We are just here to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Nor am I here to give you all of these how-to seminars all the time. Now understand, that's what people want. Many churches today have reduced their messages to a mere psychology class. And their hour together is nothing more than listening to some glorified cheerleader where their aim is to make you feel better about yourself. We could go that route and we could overflow. We could always focus on how to have your best life now. We could talk about how to be the best father you can be every week, the best husband. Now, listen, there's a time for those things. Don't misunderstand me, but often the problem is this people want the how to's to be better in these areas, but they're not willing to grasp onto the foundational biblical truths first. And what people want is they want to come in and say, Pastor, will you help me be a better father? To be a better husband. And you begin to speak with them. And you go back to the basics and you begin to ask them, how are you doing in your Bible reading? Well, I'm not doing too good. That's your problem. Well, how are you doing in your church attendance? Well, you know, I try to be there as often as I can. Are you giving financially? Well, you know, it's just sometimes I do when we have extra and... Are you witnessing? Well, you know I work long hours. Are you praying? Well, I rush out the door, I get home, i got to take care of the kids, and I'm exhausted and I go to bed. Give me the how-tos. No, 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 no. You need to get back to the basics. And you've got to grasp onto these fundamental areas first, these core areas. People want fixes without ever dealing with the, the core areas. I want a better marriage. I want better children. What about yourself? You see, we really need to understand God first. What is man to God and what is God to man? And we must understand the fundamentals of salvation, justification, sanctification, etc. And once we get a handle on who God is and our relationship to Him, then you'll find that the how-tos begin to fall into place. And you become a better husband. Or you become a better wife. Some will say, but sitting and listening to preaching is so boring. Well. And so people say, how about we bring in the dancers? Now listen, you go on YouTube, you'll see some crazy stuff that's happening out there. How about we uh, bring in the the smoke machines? Now I'd be all for that, amen. (laughs) how about we bring in the smoke machines and the crazy lighting and let's get it exciting in here and, and maybe the pastor can zip line off of the back there into the pulpit area. <laughs> I thought that was a joke until I looked it up. It was a trend in churches. Go, go look it up. These guys that have big altars, they zip line off the balcony to the pulpit. Now, now look, that would be cool. Amen. <laughs> but not in, not in a church service. Amen. You understand what I'm saying. And so people have this idea, well, it's just so boring, and so I've got to keep the excitement drummed up, because really we're all just here for a fleshly experience, and I've got to keep all the emotions going so that you'll be excited to be here. It was no different in Christ's day. You know, I got to thinking about this. What did they think in their day? They didn't have all this funny, um, all this interesting technology that they could use and you know, Jesus, he, he asked the multitude concerning John the Baptist, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? A man clothed in soft raiment? A prophet? What did you go out to see? You know what they found when they got there? Some crazy nut preaching. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, what did you go out to see? Herod, he longed to see Jesus in person. He desired to see Jesus in person. You remember this through our study in John when Jesus was sent over to Herod as part of the trial. And he was excited to see Jesus because he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. He wanted a show. He wanted something exciting to keep them interested, to see what it was all about. And listen, I, I know, I was young once, young people often just kind of sit there. And, and we get this idea that, what well, you've got to entertain me. You see, Herod was interested in the miracle, not the message. And that's the danger, isn't it? That's the danger when we think about where we place our emphasis. If we place our emphasis on entertaining everybody, then the the emphasis becomes the miracle, not the message. And and I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I feel like it's going to fit. And so what you end up hearing is, you know what I like about that church? Man, they got a great song service. Oh, wonderful. How's the preaching? Well, it's okay. But I really get a lot out of the music. Paul knew that the Jews sought after a sign and the Greeks sought after wisdom. But he said to the Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech... And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith may not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, look, the only thing I wanted to know among you was Jesus Christ. Why? Christ is the answer. He's the only hope to reach your children. So it's not some step-by-step how-to checklist. That's not going to fix your life. But it's just so boring. Do you know how you sound? Do something dramatic. Let's organize some political movement. Well, I hate to bust your bubble, but if God keeps me around, it's going to continue to be this boring. Why? Because this is what God has said to do. It'll continue to be the same message being delivered by the same method. Not that you can't use other things at times, but I'm talking about here. I'm talking about when we are gathered as a family. Now, you may be thinking, I, I know this. I've been an independent man my whole life. Listen, Adrian and I have seen someone leave over this issue. Well, I, I think you ought to be doing it this way. And really looking back, what they really wanted was some uh, limelight. But I had to look at them and say as sweetly as I could, I think I was pretty sweet, despite Lisa's opinion of me. I I just remember saying, you know, God bless you. But in this church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we are preaching the Word of God. That's God's way. Well, I don't like that, and so people leave. 1 Corinthians 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. So understand this. Preaching is not meant for you to walk away and go, Wow, what a great preacher. No, no, no. Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words. I wanted you to know that I came in the Spirit and the power of God. And so when a man gets up to proclaim the Word of God, you're supposed to walk away from that and go, Wow, what a great God! God will use the weak things of this world to confound the wisdom of this world so that He alone can have the glory. I'm simply standing before God and sinful man I'm just a sinner saved by grace, trying to convince other sinners of God's grace through the process of preaching. And then hopefully watch people come into a right relationship with God. It's the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. I don't know why this just popped in my head, but it did. Uh, listen, if you get a chance, and we've got them somewhere, we need to put them back out, you get a chance to read uh, Brother Hawtree's message, The Ten Commandments. That is persuading men. What a message. Isn't it strange how the Bible exalts preaching, but it seems there's nothing more looked down upon than the preaching? Here's one, uh, or here's my notes here. Uh, Here's the one I hear a lot. Well, I like that church because of their music. Where's the emphasis that God has on preaching? Right. Yeah. Now listen, I'm not against new Christians who kind of have this mindset. We all grow differently, amen. I can remember people saying that when I was young. They're still saying it now. And, uh, but listen, there ought to come a point in your Christian life where you are hungry and you are, thir- you are ready to hear the preaching of God's yeah. Word. Hey. Yeah. And all the music should do is prepare your hearts. Yeah. Amen. It's actually come to the point where people are choosing their church over the music program. Not the expounding of God's Word. When Jesus was pretty clear, the one needful thing is you need to be sitting at my feet listening to the teaching of my Word. Martha, you're cumbered about many things. Get the earbuds out of your head and quit pretending like you're praising me. Get over here and listen to the one needful thing. I don't know why I'm preaching. I didn't intend to. So let me just try to stay on course. So understand this. Preaching which fulfills... The Word of God will not always be what you want to hear, but it will be what you need to hear. Right. And listen, I can tell you, to get up and preach the whole counsel of God isn't always fun. Because you know you're going to say things that are just going to be rubbing people the wrong way. I'll never forget the time I went to go fill in for a pastor, I won't say who, and, and I went to his church and God just burdened my heart right before I got in the pulpit and changed the message on me. You know what text the Lord gave me? I hear that there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. It's not always fun to preach the whole counsel of God. In the Old Testament, you'll read this phrase in the prophets. The burden of the word of the Lord. They recognize the immense responsibility of being called by God to stand and speak and deliver the word they receive from Him. I don't believe a man can ever fully understand the emotions a woman goes through in bearing a child into this world. But to truly pastor is similar to those emotions. All of the joy and the travail and the pain, all the expectation that is wrapped up in the pastorate. Paul felt this way in Galatians 4.19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Amen. It's travail. It's not just standing and giving a talk, or giving man's wisdom, or giving my ideas or opinions. But it is God who has placed me here in this pulpit to deliver His Word. And it's a heavy responsibility. We are called to teach into ears, not to tickle ears. We are to preach unapologetically, not for appreciation and approval. Think of that the next time you decide to make your superficial comments. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul said to the elders in Ephesus over in Acts 28.20 that I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. In other words, he gave them the whole counsel of God, never trying to sugarcoat it. He wasn't just hoping that he would come across as a nice guy. He wasn't trying to make them like him. I'm not suggesting he was being a jerk. But listen, if you do this at all, you know that whether you say it sweetly or not, there's going to be people that are just rubbed the wrong way. There may be things that are hard to receive, but know the calling that the pastor is under even when your toes are stomped on, or I admonish and I warn, and sometimes with forcefulness in my voice, it is God's Word that is sounding forth to build and to edify the saints. Not to tear us down, but that we may obtain the same precious faith through the righteousness of God. And in reality, my love towards you will be demonstrated by how straight I preach the Word of God. Even when it's things that cause you to get sideways with me, Or with God. And I'll tell you honestly, my intent is never to be abrasive or offensive. But I must preach all of the word of God. I am called to do so by guiding you into pastures where you can feed on the word of God. Three times Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter at this point is getting concerned. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, my responsibility isn't to force feed you. I don't take grass and shove it into your mouth. We will give bottles to babes. We will give special care to those who are hurting. But we are to take mature lambs and rams and coax them to eat by putting them into the right pasture. This is why at times you'll find me doing things like I did this morning. Now you chew on it and you come to your own opinion on what John was talking about. I could always give you my opinion, but I want to bring you to a place where you hunger for it. The responsibility of the shepherd is to lead the sheep into the pasture. And then you have the responsibility to eat. And so the real question here is, am I leading you into the green pasture truth of God's Word? And if so, the question for you is, are you eating it? Is the man of God presenting the Word of God in all of its fullness? Precept upon precept, line upon line. If so... Listen, if if you can say, yeah, you know, preacher, I could probably do a better job than you, but I believe you're giving it your best. Listen, you ought to be here. You ought to be here. You ought to come to the table and eat. What is the end of all this preaching and teaching? Notice again verse 28. It is so we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You'll find a lot of similarities between Colossians and Ephesians, and this is one of them. This is talking about maturity in Christ. I want you complete in your understanding. This is why teaching the Bible is so very important. The goal is for mature believers in Christ. And if you study this out, you'll find that what this means is it is a continual habitual action. It is a continuous thing. You see, it's not instantaneous. You're not going to be able to go to sleep with the Bible under your head and wake up and know everything. Amen. It is a continual process. And it's because you talk to people and, you know, it's kind of like when you talk, you're listening to a kid talk and they're like five and they say, man, when I was little, I was thinking I was, you know, do this. And you're looking at it, that's cute because you're still little, <laughs> right? And you see that a lot with, uh, with, with some Christians, some believers, some new believers. Uh, yeah, man, I've grown so much. And you're just kind of looking there going, man, you've got a long way to go. It is a continual thing. It is a habitual thing. It is something that we have to keep doing. It is not an instantaneous snap of the finger and we're all good to go and we're all mature. It's a period of time. Now, whether we appear successful to the outside or not is not the question. People outside of here might use numbers as the goal to decide whether or not that church is a place I want to attend because obviously their pastor must be good because they're having so many in attendance. That's not the measure that we go by. Now, I believe a healthy organism ought to be growing. I do. I believe that. And I think if we're all doing our part and we're doing the Great Commission, we will grow. But that's not the measure when it comes to the preaching of God's word. There's not an external criteria, but the measure is whether or not we are growing spiritually. And here's the question I ask self Are we building hearts? Are you growing in your walk with God? Are you stronger now and closer to God now than you were when I first got here? Are you growing? Is your heart being built up? Well, you know, I look around here and boy, it sure doesn't seem like we're, we're doing a whole lot. No, 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 listen, stop. Get your eyes off of that. Are you growing in the Lord? Or are we just a bunch of people who do nothing beyond these doors? According to Ephesians 4.13, we keep preaching till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. And isn't this the job of parents? Listen, parents, I hope it's your your goal one, one day to have your kids actually move out and be productive in life. I want to raise my kids so they become responsible adults. I don't want to raise them to just always, you know, be on the dole. Me and mama got some places we want to go and y'all are sucking up all the finances, amen? (laughs) I mean, we want to raise our kids so that they will go on to live on their own. And likewise, pastors strive to see God's children grow and mature so that you can stand on your own, so to speak. Obviously, we're dependent on God. But I want to see you grow and you go on to do it as well. So my job is to preach and teach the Word of God, and your job is to come and eat the Word of God, which has been prepared by the pastor to feed the flock of God. Amen. And listen, I'm not thrilled with the quality of my messages either. I love it when people come and they say, you know, preacher, I just got something I got to tell you about. Take a number. Take a number. Listen, don't offend me. I know, I'm not, I know I'm not the world's best. You know, well, you, really, you probably should have pointed this out. I know. I know. Where were you at when I needed you? <laughs> Some people I like to go, well, I tell you what, next week you can get up and preach that. Oh, no, 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 I didn't mean that. And nobody's ugly about it. We're just having fun. But, you know, the, the, the point is I realize that there are much more eloquent uh, speakers out there. So you can ask my wife. I, I usually leave here wishing I was a better expositor of God's Word. And I'm usually like, did you get it? Did you get it? Like, did you understand it? Did it make sense? Like, you know, did you get it? And, uh, yes, I got it. Shut up. And, or sometimes, God bless her, yeah, I got it. And it wasn't that good. I don't know. That's why God gave me a help me, an honest one. Listen, I leave here feeling like I flubbed the dub and I just want to quit and I want to walk away. And I want to say, Lord, why don't you call somebody who knows what they're doing? And, but I know deep down, God has called me to proclaim His name and His word. And I, and I do want you to know, listen, I want to be transparent. It is a struggle at times. It, it can be hard to keep going and staying positive in light of all the setbacks, the disappointments, the discourages, the discouragements. It's hard when people who you thought were starters every Sunday morning, not only are not on the bench, but they've left altogether to a different team. It gets discouraging. It's very hard when people who thought you could bank on on the rest of your ministry life all of a sudden turn on you and walk out of your life in ministry. It's hard. And listen, that's not set for any expectation of pity from your part to me, but I'm just being honest when I say I need your prayers. Amen. If you give yourself to something like this and you pour yourself into it, hours upon hours upon hours, and, and you get up and you proclaim the Word and you don't see the results, It's hard. It's hard. And so just pray. I don't know how Pastor did it, but it's hard to stay in pastoral ministry week after week after week after week in the same church. I mean, 36, 37 years here as pastor, I think. We are so blessed to have that. It's a very difficult thing to do, and this is why you see such a continual rollover of the pastorates on average, 3.6 years, because it's hard. How is it possible then? Well, verse 29 is the way to do it. Paul said, I labor and strive. How? According to His working, which worketh in me mightily. You see, it must be done in God's power. Yes. Yes. And, and the problem is we do get in the flesh. And that is when I do get woe is me. Brother DeGarmo talked about having a pity party this week. And I'm with you, brother. That's like every Sunday night for me. And... uh But you know what that is, at least on my part? It's the flesh welling up. It's pride coming out saying, man, I wish I was better and I I wish people would receive it more. It's all pride. It may be the flip side of pride, but it's still pride. Is everybody with me? Just giving you my heart there. It's got to be done in God's power. It is God who enables us to continue laboring and striving for the maturity of the saints. So I ask you tonight, are you becoming mature in Christ? Are you exercising more faith? Are you growing in doctrine? Are you moving on to the meat of God's Word? Isn't that what Paul abraded some for? In a time that you ought to be teachers, you're still on the milk of God's Word. Grow up! Move on to greater things! Now in closing and I realize this may be better suited for another message, but when you understand the pastor's primary role of prayer and preaching, it'll help you come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to be able to fulfill all of your expectations of me. Now, I desire to be the best pastor I possibly can be. I really do. But I cannot live up to everyone's expectations. And man, I'm glad my dad kind of... Beat that into me in a sense. He didn't do it intentionally, but I, I heard it in his preaching. And he would say, you know, you, what's the old saying? You can please some people some of the time, not all the people the, However that goes. I'm not going to be able to live up to everyone's expectations. I wish I could spend equal time with all of you. But it just isn't possible. So listen, if we haven't had a meal together, or I haven't been over to your home, Maybe I haven't spent much time with you. It doesn't mean I don't like you. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. Most of the time, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And and on the flip side of that, if we have spent time together, it doesn't mean that I like you more than others. What am I saying there? Listen, I like all of you the same. Well, I guess really, maybe I don't like all of you the same. I guess what I'm really saying, listen, we're, we're all... What's the best way to say this here? Um, Maybe I'll put it the way my dad used to say, I love you because the Bible says I have to. You know, the truth is, I typically have to take things as they arise. I rarely have leisure time just to hang out. So please don't be offended when I can't live up to what you expect that I should be doing. Sometimes I feel like Bilbo Baggins... When he said, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> and listen, I'll close by saying this. It takes the whole body. Amen. It takes more than just a Paul. It takes Tichicus, Phoebe, Epaphroditus, Aquila, and Priscilla. And the others mentioned by Paul, and even those that Paul never mentions by name, but you know that they're there behind the scenes. Therefore, there may be times you come to me and I direct you to somebody else. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't want to deal with it. But it's because somebody may be gifted in a way that I'm not. I know other, others have gifts that I do not possess. Many of you are far better than me in certain areas. Listen, I can't even do all that I wish that I want I could do. And really, I'm to, and, and, and get this as we close. I'm to edify you through preaching and teaching so that you in turn will also do the works of the ministry. And then, as a fully functioning body, we'll begin to see things get done. We're all part of the same body and it takes all of us to function properly. So if I'm not meeting your expectations of what you feel I should be, I am truly sorry. But please go back and understand my primary role. My first priority is prayer and study of the Word of God. To be able to present it to you. And therefore, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, I have to guard my time to give myself to prayer and study. And that is why there are times I don't respond right away. It's not because I'm looking at the phone going, oh, Adrian's calling again. (laughs) Amen. So that's the primary role of a pastor. Let's pray.